Glad to have you in. This is the Monday morning edition of the Mammoth Plan podcast, episode 60. What happened this weekend? Something happened? I feel like I feel like this was a relatively quiet weekend, am I right? Nothing really happened. I mean, football, it was just a normal weekend. There was no dad blood. There wasn't any little brother getting in their own state, getting embarrassed. There wasn't any overall triumphant victories over certain people and teams. And what happened? <laughs> so, anyways, I want to first start this off by 60 episodes. Crazy. That's just unreal to me. That last December, it's December 3rd, I believe, so it's coming up. It is coming up this week. It is the one-year anniversary of this podcast's return. I don't necessarily like to count the first one because... It's just, I, I, I just don't know. It's just, it just wasn't very good. And I wasn't really all into it. I was over my head at that point. And I'm just happy where I am now, 60 episodes in. I like my, just what I do. I like the poll that I like to get. I love hearing you guys ask me for suggestions, asking me to do stuff. I had someone talk to me like, you better get the Michigan thing on the podcast. And it just means a lot that uh, you guys are listening and you guys want to, you want to hear my perspective on certain stories and boy, are you going to get some today. So let's just go with the room. Go with the elephant in the room right away. Lincoln Riley is the head coach of USC starting today. I'd like to credit uh, Matthew Clancy, if you're listening, for breaking me out of my spell watching the Patriots game and going, oh my God, it happened. <laughs> Lincoln Riley is the head coach of USC, a move that not many saw coming. I think either they thought he was going to take the lucrative deal at LSU or he was going to take the deal and just stay at Oklahoma, stay with what he had, stay with what he had, what currently is built, which is a pretty good program. A lot of recruits, very, very likable guy, very, very fun to watch. You have a base in Oklahoma where you're going to the SEC soon. There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding that program. How do they stack up against teams like Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M? Can they be as successful if they were in the Big 12 still? Can they be as successful in the SEC with a different style of player, a different style of team? How does that stack up? It had to be on Lincoln Riley's mind. How in the heck am I going to stack this team up that usually doesn't play physical football against an Alabama every year? Because you're going to face them. I believe they're going to be in the SEC West. So they were going to face the best of the best. They're going to have to face Georgia if they want to get in the playoff. That had to have been on Lincoln Riley's mind, and he moves west to USC. And for what USC can bring him, it's a slam dunk of a hire, not to quote Cowherd there. It is such a fantastic hire. Obviously, what Lincoln Riley brings is a very, very new style of offense, very much what you'd expect from a Big 12 team, flying all over the place, athletes. He's going to have a very big pull in recruiting. Anybody that was with Oklahoma, I mean, you saw earlier today, this is Sunday night, very late. It's about 1 in the morning right now as I'm recording this. You have recruits that have already decommitted from Oklahoma, and either they'll follow Lincoln to LSU, to USC or they will go find their own path. But it's certainly interesting to see how those dominoes have fallen with recruiting. Very, very, just, you, you've been, I've been watching and closely following this story all day when I could not when I was driving to back to Clemson, but very just everyone's got an opinion, especially with this one. 
you have so many different and I obviously for Oklahoma fans they feel like they've been stabbed in the back which uh, sucks for them but at the same time you can't blame Lincoln Riley all too much I'm sure that he's been in contact with USC since probably early October I mean these contracts just don't happen overnight so he's been very much engaged with Oklahoma they were right in the thick of it till that playoff it was pretty much a playoff game with Oklahoma State and Oklahoma State we'll talk about them in a second when we talk about our CFP outlook um, they're they're in the playoff race for sure but Oklahoma they've been competitive they've been in the playoffs I believe twice yeah they were playing LSU and then Alabama they both got whacked by two very prominent SEC schools just the two styles just don't match up so I don't know if it was Lincoln that was encouraging the SEC move or it was an outside force that he couldn't control but I think that a you get to be in California which isn't a bad spot to live for a while and you've had people like Pete Carroll who have been really successful at USC if you're successful and you're a star you bring USC back to its prominence back to what it, everyone thinks it should be maybe Lincoln's thinking NFL maybe he's thinking he's not going to get as much of a pull with at Oklahoma that if I can't get a national championship here, if I could try to get USC to the playoff, maybe that could get me a job somewhere. Maybe that can get him some, somewhere in the NFL. I feel like that's where his headspace is at, is potentially NFL next. That's very, very interesting. But where and in the, you look at it on the flip side, where in the heck is Oklahoma going to go with this? Because now, obviously, they've been blindsided, because I don't think they saw this coming. Because he literally just told his coaching staff this morning that he was going. So you go... Where does Oklahoma go? And I actually, and my brother, who loves to talk shop, loves to talk football, brought up the idea of Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, a couple names that have been flown around, maybe Brent Venables from Clemson. He's got ties to Oklahoma. You have maybe somebody like, I God, it would be wild to throw Dan Mullen in there, but he's still a prominent coach. Despite what happened this year, he's had a lot of success at Florida. Maybe... You bring in somebody like Joe Brady. Maybe the Panthers isn't really what he wants, and he can get a really nice deal at Oklahoma. Maybe you have somebody, Bill O'Brien at Alabama, who's trying to find his way back up to the top after the Texans deal. It would be an it would be a very decent fit for him because he's an offensive guy. Just a lot of different things. A lot of things we'll have to monitor in the next couple of weeks because you'll have Oklahoma's recruiting problem what are they going to do Caleb Williams Spencer Rattler how is that going to work out because obviously Riley's been he's the one that recruited Caleb Williams there does Williams stick it out does Rattler try to follow it's just going to be a very interesting situation obviously it's the first day we're still getting into the aftermath of this situation so we'll see how it goes but if you're a USC fan expect big things soon they're going to be able to recruit anybody and anyone especially in those California schools in Mounter Day, you got Bosco, maybe Bishop Gorman in Nevada, a lot of schools that are going to be a lot of players that if they have a poll, if they have a reason to stay close and stay local in a guy like Lincoln Riley that can recruit, why not? Why not if just stay in California? If you're really talented, you're a receiver, you're a quarterback, running back, offensive line, and you can get in an offense that'll benefit you as you try to go to the pros, why not stay in California? It is a very interesting situation with Lincoln Riley. I cannot wait to see how this plays out. And another thing that finally, finally played out. I have in my notes right here. Finally. <laughs> so Michigan beat Oklahoma. Michigan beat Ohio State in the game 
in the big house. The biggest game of the weekend. I think that's fair to say. It was a dominant game by Michigan. Hassan Haskins had five touchdowns, and Jim Harbaugh finally got the thorn off his side, the monkey off his back. He was able to finally get Ohio State that you can't beat Ohio State or the success of the season is determined by Ohio State and it's just null. They don't feel it. They can't win a bowl game. All this stuff has been completely thrown out the window. Jim Harbaugh has finally beat Ohio State and it is so great. I've been rooting for Harbaugh for so long. I love what he does. I think the fans and just the media in general, why fire a head coach when you're winning 10, 11 games a year? Even last year when you were struggling, you have people like James Franklin who was able to turn Penn State. They won, I think, seven, eight games this year. They were able to turn a rough COVID season around. Harbaugh turned a rough COVID season around. Consistently wins 10 games. Not many programs around the country can just say, on a consistent level, we can get to 10 games, New Year's Six Bowls. We can, we have a shot every year at the playoff. Like, there's just not many coaches that can say that. So I was like, wait, let's, let's calm down on the Harbaugh thing. And finally, the patience pays off. They were dominant. The senior Hassan Haskins had five touchdowns. I know I'd said it earlier, but the senior. So he's been he's been getting his butt kicked by Ohio State for three straight years. Three straight years. That patience finally pays off. The door is wide open. But on Ohio State's side, it was sloppy. You had a lot of missed opportunities. They were physically dominated. There were a lot of drops by this receiving core that many thought in this game would dominate. And in many ways, they did. It just is that... They had some penalties, some emotional mistakes, ripping a helmet off, getting personal misconduct, per, unsportsmanlike conduct, not misconduct, I, I, that sounds dumb, but just a lot of stuff that Ohio State didn't do, couldn't capitalize on. They had opportunities. C.J. Stroud didn't necessarily lose it for him, but there was a couple throws that were kind of left to be desired. And in a day where it was between, in my mind, the Heisman Trophy was C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, I don't know who kind of stood out. I guess C.J. Stroud had a decent game. Bryce Young was able to win the Iron Bowl. So maybe that holds more than a a less impressive performance in a win and a more impressive performance in a loss. I mean, we've had Heisman Trophy winners like Lamar Jackson who have lost four games and then able to rebound. So who knows? But a lot of interesting stuff to look forward to with that. For Michigan fans... The playoff is wide open. All you got to do is win one more game and you're in. How does that sound if you're a Michigan fan? After struggling last year with COVID, a lot of people saying this is this is just not it. Michigan's not a really great place to be, not a great place to play, all this just ugh. And Jim Harbaugh, the patience, the patience that he had, so happy. I'm unbelievably happy for him. And as you transition into that Michigan win, another team Oklahoma State had a huge win against Oklahoma. In my mind, Oklahoma State is what Iowa always wants to be, a dominating defense, but at the same time, the offense can pick up the slack when it needs to. And I think for Oklahoma State, they've got a winning formula. And just like Michigan, they just got to win one more game. And for the CFP, I know everybody wants to talk extension. Everyone wants those 12 teams. Everybody wants... More teams in, more games, more money, more contracts, more revenue. But this year, the CFP is going to get potentially, should Bama lose on the SEC championship next Saturday, there could be four new teams for 
based off of last year, you had Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Notre Dame. This year, you have a possibility of getting Georgia, Cincinnati, Michigan, and Oklahoma State. How wild is that? More of a geographic reach. I think we talked about this actually on the podcast earlier in the in the year about how great it was that Oregon won because of that geographic pull. The CFP does not need, and as much as it's going to happen more often, the CFP needs a team occasionally from the Midwest or the North that doesn't make it all the time to kind of bring, excuse me, bring some new life into the CFP. It'll make it very exciting. In my mind, Georgia's the overwhelming favorite by a mile. Because I, I look at it like this. I think it's funny that this is the year for Georgia more than anything because you'll have Georgia who's been there before and then three just new kids on the block. It is like when you have your you have the little kids being read to by the older high schoolers on like some senior day, junior type thing. They're teaching them new words. They're teaching them this book. They're holding the pictures and showing it to them. It's like Georgia's the older senior that everybody looks up to, and the senior's going to come in and teach them how to be professionals, how to be adults, all this stuff. It's going to be a very interesting playoff. I'm very excited for it. I think that there's a lot of what if going into the week because you're like, well, what if Georgia loses or what if Baylor wins or what if Notre Dame sneaks in somehow? There's a lot of chaos and last year it felt like there was a lot kind of already decided. There was like, well, if they win, then it's pretty easy to chalk it up and stuff like that, especially with the COVID year. And I, I think we don't appreciate the fans enough based off of last year. I mean, the, fan, the stadiums were empty. It was dead. The national championship was dead. It was, unless you were a Bama Ohio State fan, why would you watch a quiet practice pretty much? It was a very interesting year. And it's great to see everybody's rebounded, new teams, new storylines. You mean you had Alabama almost lose to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, and you had just so many different things happening. What the heck's going to happen in Oklahoma? Is Oklahoma State going to make the playoff? Is Michigan going to make the playoff? Is Mike Gundy and his cowboy hat going to make it in? Is Cincinnati going to be the first group of five to make the playoffs? We still don't know. That American Conference Championship game will be definitely a must-watch because if you like Cincinnati and you've liked their story, you got to watch them on Saturday. We are going to talk college football. We're going to talk conference championships. It is weird because this is about the same time I started doing the show was around this weekend. So it's actually kind of weird full circle. I might actually go back and watch those videos to see how I reacted to certain teams and how I predicted things. Because I know I predicted a Clemson, Alabama national championship and I was half right with all that stuff. I want to see how I talk about NFL quarterbacks like right now, like Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Trevor Lawrence. It's just so weird. Oh, man. A whole year under my belt doing this. Just love it. I'm so thankful. And with that, we're going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk why I'm so happy for Tua Tagovailoa and the Dolphins, who have won four straight following their win against the Panthers. You're not going to want to miss this. Stick around for more, and we'll be right back. And we are back. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 60. So, you're probably wondering, why do you have Tua on the title? Why? Why do you have Tua? The Dolphins are 5-7. and seven. They haven't really exceeded expectations this year. And I'm going to be the one to say, 
really like Tua. I really do. And I don't really, I think at the first year and a half, it's you can describe it, if you had one word, it would say underwhelming. Underwhelming. And now we've reached December. The Dolphins have won four straight games. And it's weird. Because they go, they start one and seven. Tua has the rib injury that keeps them out of business for a while. And last year they were ten and six, but it was very clear that the team wasn't fully invested in starting Tua that first year. I think their initial game plan was the Mahomes method, where they were going to take a year off and just let him learn the playbook, learn how to be a pro, all this stuff. But they had to fix it in. They started him randomly. And it was just a whole weird carousel. We actually talk about it in episode 6. And now we're at 60. Nuts. But uh, we talk about that in episode 6. I was like, we got to give Tua a chance here to play a whole game. Like, we haven't really seen a full Tua. And when he's there, he's pretty good. So, I've always been a decent supporter of Tua. Never really hated him. But I think for... It's just something that I think about. Sometimes I, for these podcast ideas, I just think of these certain things... And I go, wow, this would be a great thing to talk about. Or, wow, I really like that quarterback. Like, I was watching the Eagles two weeks ago, and I was like, wow, I really like Philly. I really want to talk about them. And then this today, as I'm making the podcast, literally at 1 o'clock, Jalen Hurts threw three picks. And I was like, oh, God, that's not going to be fun. So I just had to face the music, guys. There's, I need to have a segment of, like, stuff where I was wrong. I talked to my brother about this. We, took, we, we went over all of my mistakes on this podcast and I didn't mean that like mistakes, like it's like just missed and then takes because it's going to be like someone's going to listen to that like my mom, for example, and go, why did you not fix that? And I'm going to have to clarify that I was trying to make it two separate words. So there you go. But uh, <laughs> but for Tua, I mean, I just was like very it was a very much an, I'm not up and down, but I was just kind of like, eh, I mean, he's good. Not great. It's not terrible. He's decent, I guess. This is very much a. Eh, I don't really like him at number five, but uh, I like him as a quarterback. But I really just I really fell in love with the idea of what the Dolphins could have with Tua. And I think that, like I said with Michigan, all it takes is a little patience. And for some teams and some organizations and some fan bases, boosters, they're not going to have that patience of a 20-year-old podcaster but I can just say it on the show and see if it sticks. But patience is something that I have to learn every day and something that these organizations seem to start to learn is that patience is a virtue and that it's nice to have. Um, (laughs) I'm probably going to have some eye rolls with that one, but you know who you are if you are listening. Uh, But I put in my notes that just, man, I'm so happy for him. He Last year, let's just imagine, so you're a rookie. You're coming off of one of the most horrendous injuries of all time. The hip surgery, like, Tua could barely move. He was on a cart two weeks after his surgery. He was scooting around. It was awful. Like, he was very much in a bad situation. Took him out of the year, obviously. I think it was, it was a really, like, he avoided a disaster type situation. So you have that. You get drafted number five to the Miami Dolphins. So... You got to start your career as an NFL pro on rehab, recovering, recovering, recovering. And then when you're drafted, you're not going to start immediately, but you knew this going in. They had the situation planned out for you. So you're like, okay, let me just do my thing. You have a good training camp. You impress, you make some good throws. You're not the starter, but that's okay because eventually you'll just put your head down. You'll keep working and it'll be fine. 
And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the Dolphins say, hey, you're up. And here we go. You're going to be our guy. And it's a weird carousel because you, you, you're being told you're the guy. And then you play a have a game where obviously all rookie QBs have. You have a bad game and you get pulled for the other guy. And he comes in and wins the game. And you're just like, all right, well, who's going to start? Well, you're going to start. You're the guy. You're okay, 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 that's kind of weird, but uh, I mean, you pulled me, and then they, he won the game, but I'm still the guy. That's interesting. You have a great game against Arizona, and then you have a couple more up-and-down games. The fan base isn't really sure where it's going to go, and you keep getting pulled for the same guy. It's just a back-and-forth carousel. Even the guy that's getting cut, that's coming in isn't even fully aware of what's happening all the time, and you're still getting the faith, and I put that in quotes, faith from the coaches. Just a very much all-around, up-and-down, weird environment to be in. And then when you don't really perform, when you keep getting thrown in and out, you're not getting all the full reps into the full practice, there's rumors that you're going to get your job taken from you, and you haven't even played a full season. And then that guy that was rumored to take your job is now in some court case, and so you go, okay, I think I'm good. But then it just keeps resurfacing and you get a bad injury. And people are starting to question your toughness, whether you fit in the NFL. Well, Tua, ever since this Ravens game where they had a massive upset, I think Tua found something. Since then, two straight games over 80% completion percentage. Three games over 100 quarterback rating. He's been quiet. He's kept his head down. He's proven himself. He's been a great leader. I just love that. What a great story if you're able to rebound from that. Just all the ups and downs that he's faced. He's just put his head down and gone to work. There's just not much else you can say about Tua other than that he's just going to be a good, quiet leader. He's going to get his job done. He's going to do the right thing. He's not going to wow you with a Mahomes-like throw. And we got to stop this argument about not every quarterback that comes out of college has to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Some guys, like Tua or Mac Jones or Kirk Cousins, or Ryan Tannehill, they're just going to be pocket passers, and that's fine. That's what a quarterback usually was before, and that's fine if they make a check down or make a certain throw. Tua missed, I think, four throws against a really good Panthers defense. Probably some of them weren't all these, they might have been slants, they might have been in cuts, they might have been H posts. It's fine. Just make the throws, do what you got to do, and just do your job and do it well. And that's what Tua's done. Really love that from him. Really like that he's evolving, he's coming into his own, growing as a player, just maturing. I think that for him, they have a weaker schedule coming up. It could be that they're fighting for their playoff lives, but they're in it. They're not out of it yet, and you just love to see that from Tua. And hopefully the Dolphins can see that as well and stick with him moving forward because I really like what I see. It's just a great thing. I really like it. Ending that on a positive note, we're ending the show on a positive note, that'll be all today from the Man With Plan podcast, episode 60, Lincoln Riley, Michigan, college football, and Tua. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in, as always, for the last 60 episodes. Couldn't be more thankful. You guys are the best. Stay safe, have a great week, and take care.